Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Sean Crump. How are you doing, Sean? Great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Sean. I don't even know how we met. Again, I keep Calgary conspires to to bring interesting people onto my show. I feel so very, very fortunate. You're co-founder and head chair and CEO at Included by Design. So let's jump in the elevator and let's take a couple floors. Take as many floors as you like. The building can be as tall as you want. What's uh, Included by Design all about? And then let's uh, kind of unpack the story. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I founded Included by Design. Um, our main focus is disability inclusion and supporting businesses and kind of furthering their ability to accommodate um, through through a myriad of different things. Uh, we've kind of operated in the traditional consulting space uh, for quite some time, uh, but really focused on kind of transitioning ourselves into a product-led uh, uh, business to solve the same problems we are through the consulting means. So, um, you know, offering a digital solution uh, for what we do right now uh, with working with architects, working with property management businesses, uh, all types of groups that really want to just ensure their doors or their businesses open to as many different people, uh, both from a um, patron side, but also from an employability side. Appreciate that. And just to be uh, percentage of your work that is retrofitting existing establishments versus being, I would assume the optimal places at the table for net new builds when it's really, again, by design being thought out that way versus again, we have a lot of old infrastructure that maybe this wasn't top of mind 30, 40 years ago when it, when it was built. What's the, what's the balance? Just, just curious in terms of your workflow on those things. Yeah. Good question. I, I would say uh, probably a year ago, it was about 80% on a new build focus with about 20% adaptation to existing spaces. Um, as we've kind of launched uh, our first product, we've started focusing on smaller businesses or tenant-based businesses, uh, which has dramatically shifted that. So we're doing a lot of assessments and evaluations on existing space to allow businesses the 
uh, ability to be populated on our platform, um, but still, you know, on the major project side doing about 40% of our time uh, with new build and, you know, larger scale existing spaces. Curious, a year ago, that was that's a very definitive, defined period of time. Has anything changed in the world from the perspective of more legislation, uh, people just becoming aware that quote unquote, it's the, it's the right thing to do. And you will, you and I can, we're going to unpack that a little bit. The difference between what's a financial right move versus what's just a, a right move. Cause it's human. Uh, was there anything that happened a year ago or is just more awareness and, and, you know, just as a business you grew and accessed a new group of customers? Yeah, I think our focus changed a little bit more, uh, really wanting to prioritize spaces that already exist and really see the needle move on getting people, out of isolation and into their communities and you know people living with disabilities this isn't a covid based uh requirement this is something that has existed long before uh, the pandemic the sense of isolation the inability to engage equally in our communities um and and really trying to maximize kind of that narrative and and ability to other people to empathize with you know the the mental challenge that exists from isolation. So we wanted to get a product out there that got people out into their communities, creating the confidence from an employer perspective, but also from the individuals living with disabilities perspective of where they can go, what can meet their needs and and how it can do so and kind of having the ability to self-identify with those spaces and make sure that their needs are adequately met. Uh, I want to say this in the context, I want to make sure this is framed in the context that it's being said. Was COVID a good thing because it's increased more awareness around the realities of isolation and people feeling excluded? And like again, I'm trying to find every silver lining I can and what was a pretty crappy two years for two and a half years for a lot of people and still continues to be. But it certainly feels to me that there's a lot more dialogue going on about the me mental health and people feeling isolated that arguably from a physical perspective could go out, but yet we were not allowed to. I don't know, does it level the play field or has it created more empathy that more people kind of get what that might feel like when that maybe wasn't a world that you lived in until the last two years? It certainly made the correlation a lot easier. So being able to draw on that empathy when trying to explain, you know, that human side of the importance of, you know, creating space or, you know, pushing beyond building code minimum and, you know, uh, HR protocols and all of those other aspects that may exist as a barrier to people with disabilities to fully kind of engaging with their spaces. It's easier now to have that conversation with people because the likelihood that they know somebody struggling with, you know, um, an, an isolated or a, a mental health uh, challenge relative to isolation or related to, you know, somebody living in isolation, I think it becomes more real when your partner, your spouse, a child, uh, a family member is actually struggling with that with that issue when we then relate it to people living with disabilities being isolated it becomes very real in everybody's reality uh, whereas before you know we had to kind of start creating examples or or, or really driving uh, a perspective uh, where, where we don't have to do that anymore or we have to do that far less because it's so fresh and it's so real in a lot of people's lives today
Well, your ability to be empathetic from a place of, I know what that feels like versus uh, just intellectualizing something like, oh, that must be terrible. Well, you'd actually know what? I have a kind of a window into what that might be like, which I always, again, I look for every silver lining I can, part of my DNA of like, okay, great. That was all terrible. And we had this shared really crappy experience. How do we bring it together? Uh, curious, just, I've had a lot of guests on the show talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, often from the position of race, uh, gender, uh, sexual orientation. I haven't had anybody on chatting about the realities of disability, which is something that I feel was on on our radar as a society before kind of the DEI wave that's hit us over the last couple of years. And I don't know, I feel like I'm asking a weird question or putting myself in a corner with this, but how has that all balanced out? Has it brought more awareness or did the awareness shift into another area of like, hey, we still haven't figured out disability and inclusion from the perspective of accessibility. We haven't got that right, but now we're over here trying to then fix all these other things that I'll be need to be fixed. So just when it comes to space and opportunity and like, there's always an opportunity cost. If I'm an organization and I'm focusing on this, is there a risk that I all of a sudden then lose my focus on something that, I'll be honest, we probably haven't even come close to quote unquote fixing or, or making better. Has that been any, is there any competition in the space? And that's a weird question, but I hope you understand, hope it makes sense and kind of where I'm coming from in terms of asking it. Yeah, no, I, it, I think it's a, it's a complex question because it's a complex topic. Um, it's, it's for sure a value because, you know, when looking at DEI, uh, having it associated to other uh, unique characteristics that individuals, you know, identify with um, beyond disability helps that narrative get in front of business. Like it helps grow the importance surrounding the generality of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, the challenge is, of course, you know, a lot of those other characteristics have gained a lot of ground, uh, not just over the last couple of years, but, you know, over the last couple of decades, where disability really has struggled. And it's not just from a social, you know, um, perspective or, or social IQ of understanding, you know, what's required for people with disabilities. It's from a physical environment. It's, it's we can't even get in the front door to, to even start that you know, social component of adapting, you know, uh, the other elements that, you know, um, race, religion, gender are, are working through uh, and seeing kind of traction made, it's really hard to get that conversation started when we're still working on getting people out of their homes into, you know, a business setting or into a restaurant when, they, you know, there's there's a built environment barrier, and then there's the social barrier. Uh, you know, even from an education perspective, when you don't have kids with disabilities amongst all the other kids. I mean, let's look back at our, you know, grade three, grade four birthday parties. How many kids with disabilities were there? You know, how many girls did you have there? So again, it's it's really we're we're playing catch up, but it's not new. Um, but I think with the DE&I uh, increased focus and, 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 you know, adoption from businesses and emphasizing the importance of, I think what that's helping us do is interject ourselves into that conversation and hopefully it expedites uh, the growth that occurs from kind of uh, an overall perspective. 
I appreciate it. And the intersectionality of like, we're not, this, this isn't, a, this isn't, a, 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 these, these groups all crisscross each other and they all exist sometimes in, in a similar, but I really like the perspective of the social side of acceptance and inclusion and feeling belonging. It's really hard to have that if you can't get over the curb to be super blunt, like let's just talking about the physical barrier. So when you're having, when you're consulting with organizations, let's say it's a net new build, how much of the conversation does your, do, does your group find yourself in when you're talking about exactly that accessibility? We're allowing this free flowing of traffic disabilities, not going to be a factor. And then the space that you actually create that creates an environment of inclusion. Just when you're in those conversations, I, I was I'm curious back to you made the comment before I think we got on about the checkboxing. Are we checking of allowing access? But is that does that conversation quickly lead to what does an inclusive work environment or it doesn't mean work social environment? What does it actually function like once people get past the front door? Like because it feels like they're two part. They can be separate, but yet they shouldn't be. If if I'm if I'm hearing it correctly. Yeah, I think you like you, you you can't have disability inclusion without accessibility. Um, you can have an accessible space without it being inclusive or feeling inclusive. Uh, you know, the best example I often um, defer to is uh, accessibility is everybody getting into the dance. Inclusion is everybody on the dance floor dancing, and it's really just that you know consideration of you can get people in the front door where you create an accessible environment, we now have that next step of what do you know HR policies look like? What's the hiring process or interview process? Is that adapted or inclusive to not just be accommodating to people with disabilities, but be accommodating to people? Uh, you know, is there a flexible schedule? Is there a flexible, you know, component for working mothers, for working fathers, for people with disabilities for anything that may have an extenuating circumstance that may require a flexibility or a need component. Um, and that's why I often don't like talking about accessible design. I really like referring to it as universal design and making things more universally adapted for people because again, we see more and more people buried in their cell phone. Well, if we have high contrast and we have you know, things that would be considered accessible for visual impairment, it actually also helps create safer environments for people that maybe are relying on their peripheral vision to navigate a space or um, are maybe kind of involved in something or if there's children around, you know, who often pay less attention to the environment around them, uh, families with strollers, you know, on and on and on, everybody kind of finds themselves, if we create universal space, the functionality of it becomes more user-friendly or more usable by everybody, including people with disabilities. So we're not creating space for the 20% being those living with disabilities. We're just finally creating space for the 100%. Is that the number, 20% of population living with disabilities? Roughly, yeah. It, it kind Roughly. of bounces between 20 to 24%, depending on which, which article you're reading that day. Yeah, yeah, fair. Wish uh, check your source. Um, I read it on yeah. the internet. It must be true. Um, so yeah, yeah, exactly. You and I touched about this before we pushed record, and I think it's something that there's there's quote unquote doing the right thing because as humans, 
that's the right thing to do. But businesses are driven by numbers, by spreadsheets, run by accountants and engineers, and not not a criticism. But when you look at it from a numbers perspective, 20 to 24% of the population, so that's a significant number of potential customers or potential employees. And I think we can maybe talk about both. We've also, you can't turn on the news right now or read an article that doesn't talk about, we have labor gap. We have, we, we're missing people at every level for every type of job. You shared a statistic with me when we uh, when we first chatted that blew me away. It was 80% of people with sort of 24, 20 to 24% of the population, 80% of those people are unemployed. Is that like, can you unpack that a little bit for me? That kind of set me back. Like clearly you and I chatted about a month ago and that's still on my mind. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta find out more what, what you mean by that. Cause it just seems like a hugely wasted opportunity as a business person. Like let's put my business hat on here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, again, checking where you get information from, uh, it varies, mm -hmm. but you know, low seventies to, 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 you know, high 70s, 80% uh, is still a staggering number when you think, you know, unemployment rate when it's 7%, people are kind of going crazy. Um, yeah, that puts it in real context. The end of that, and that, yeah, yeah. that really Let's, ten, let's 10x that number and then see how we feel about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And see how society starts reacting. Um, but it's true. I think that there's a huge opportunity in kind of filling the gap when we're looking at uh, the baby boomers leaving the job market uh, and retiring, um, where does that get filled? Uh, there's a really quick way of kind of filling that gap and it's utilizing a population base that really has never been fully integrated into society from an employment perspective and from just kind of a uh, inclusive perspective of you know participation and um i think if we if we figured out a way to adapt that um we could see some of those things start getting filled and is that just it was easier not to and again i'm oversimplifying broad stroking here you know, as you talked about, whenever there's extenuating circumstances, I don't know. I don't many people that don't have some type of extenuate. As as our world becomes more personalized, as you know, from the devices we carry in our pockets that personalize everything to us, to algorithms that give us exactly what we want to see. But that's another that's another thing. But when you think about it from a hiring perspective, it's rare that there isn't some type of extenuating circumstances. And you know, as organizations have this driving need, I don't. Do you see that that this 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 labor gap as enough motivation? for organizations, and again, not all of them, there's going to be the leaders and there'll be the laggards for sure, as there always is, that will take that extra effort to find a way to make it work because they kind of don't have any choice. And I appreciate sometimes where the motivation comes from if the result is a more inclusive hiring practice and willing to do what it takes because you need to get labor in. I, I don't know. I'm trying to look at what might be driving it. To Do you see that as something that can actually move the needle to, make, to let those companies that are in the lead take the extra effort required to quote unquote make it work, which at first may be hard but eventually it'll just become the way they operate. <laughs> yeah, I think optimistically that would be uh, the ideal kind of scenario or outcome to what, what's occurring is you have to become creative in attracting talent. You have to become creative in, you know, uh, work flexibility and, and all of these other components. And by doing so, uh, maybe you become more versed or, or more receptive to what would it look like to accommodate somebody with a need that we're not used to supporting? Um, you know, somebody in a wheelchair giving them an adjustable desk or, you know, dictation software on their computer. Most adaptations for anybody of, of any kind of disability are, are, are usually under around 
uh, usually under the five hundred dollar mark. Um, oh wow! Okay, so so there's the no fi- so financial is not the barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the uncertainty, the unknowing, which is the barrier. You don't know how much it's going to cost you. You don't know how much, you know, it's going to to, to strain the process. If you're struggling to hire ten people. You're going to do what's familiar. You're going to do whatever you can to hire those people as quickly as possible to, to fill the gaps that exist um, by incurring new processes and new new uh, new ways of doing it. It's it's a time. It's a learning. It's a, you know, things are comfortable for a reason. So working outside of that comfortability is really where I think the barrier exists. But once you're acclimated to that i think your possibilities expand greatly what's the role like legislation versus companies making their own decisions in terms of um what role does legislation and like kind of a forced uh, a force change play into this or kind of what you've seen maybe where you've seen it work and where you see it just as another set of rules that either gets followed or or, or gets minimum standards <laughs> Yeah, I think it's classic carrot and stick. Um, you know, if, if you can, if you rely upon the stick wholly, uh, that's all that's going to be viewed. Uh, the, the legislation when you create a minimum, um, and that's all that's used is a building minimum. Uh, that's all everybody's going to build to or incorporate into their, their design plan because that's all they have to do. Um, and that's all that they're expected to do um you know you look at lead for example and they created a carrot for environmental and all of a sudden businesses were building or creating to that next level or to that carrot because there was a reward mechanism or a carrot mechanism to entice businesses to build beyond Uh, and then the carrot actually ended up having to catch up to or the stick sorry had to end up catching up to that carrot and so we saw building code minimums, and and now we're in a conversation in net zero. Who would have thought 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that we would be talking about net zero buildings or infrastructure um, that quickly and, and incorporating it, you know, in, in a timeline that we'll see in our lives. Like that's that's outstanding. And again, that's mm-hmm. that's a carrot and stick mechanism. And if we look at utilizing the same aspect in in looking at kind of built environment design accessibility universal design um, i think you see that needle move far quicker than just relying on legislation or just relying on businesses like mine to only provide a carrot i think you need to have both Um, legislation in canada has a ways to go but thankfully in 2019 we received royal assent for a federal legislation Uh, we're seeing that starting to develop now more and more provinces are adopting provincial legislation around this Uh, so that's really exciting to see but you know you compare it to the u.s that has had that type of legislation in place for 30 years so you know, oh, wow. Okay. So we're, 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 we're that far behind 30 years is, is not a small number. <clears throat> no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a large amount of time. It's a lot of work to be done. But again, I think it's the singular reliance on, on legislation or policy to only 
entice businesses to build or create or, or adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great mechanism to create, you know, a FOMO or, or uh, expedite, you know, a narrative. But if we can actually focus on an ROI or a value that's added to that business by doing, you know, this building to a higher standard or, or opening their doors to a greater number of the population, uh, what do those metrics look like? What do those numbers start looking like from a business perspective? You kind of get the best of both worlds. And that's really what we're trying to do is be that, you know, private business side, that enticement, that value uh, to business and, and, and then utilize the legislation to entice you know, proactive action as opposed balance. to reactive. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, on our first chat, you said, you know, ROI, return on inclusion. Uh, do you guys have, and like, I've seen this before in the, in the health space, for every $3 invested in, in employee wellness, you get a $7 return. And is it formulaic like that? And I know I got a, uh, again, asterisks. I know like, I'm a marketer. I appreciate a catchy headline and a repeatable a repeatable stat that maybe not be factual when you unpack it. But I've definitely seen that. And it, it, when you're sitting down with companies, especially in the early stage, are those conversations that are coming up that if you spend this extra two percent, four percent, whatever it is, on your build to get this, this can be what statistically is shown as a, as a return on inclusion or your ROI from that spend. Is it formulaic like that, or is it more loose? We're trying to move it that way. We want the quantitative value to supplement or support the qualitative feedback uh, again it's it's that um, social and practical kind of components that we try to balance between and that's why we're you know building products and, and utilizing some technology to help supplement some of the work we do because we can actually collect more data and drive more formulaic reporting uh, so we actually provide a disability impact report to our clients on an annual basis from the information we collect, uh, you know, understanding that a- adapting a space comes with a financial uh, burden to a business, um, especially adapting a space that already exists and building beyond kind of those minimum standards. It's not something that a lot of business can do 100% right out of the gate. And by being able to kind of track and showcase the progression of accessibility and the, the work that businesses are doing on an annual basis, it helps also kind of drive the narrative of, you know, maybe it's not perfect, maybe it's not fully inclusive to everybody today, but look at what it was last year and look at what it is today. It's actually come a long way and it it helps drive that focus away from the negative to the positive. And I feel like there's so much conversation around the not we really want to try emphasizing the the things businesses are doing to drive that in the right direction and, and the opportunities that have, you know, uh, arisen because of it. How many more people have, you know, uh, patronized a restaurant because it put on an automatic door? Did they see an influx of people? Have they seen an increase of, you know, um, social narrative or, or, or credibility? Because, again, it's not just people living with disabilities it impacts it impacts the family members the friends the social networks around all of these people as well as social spending that's becoming a bigger and bigger aspect and then again you kind of move towards the hiring process have they adapted their hr policies have they taken you know any kind of training what's the operational pieces that those businesses have taken on 
Um, and can we track that? Can we start showcasing that and create a transparency around it uh, that that strengthens the business from the formulaic number side, but also from that social component side as they you know look at what their you know pillars of social commitments look like. Is that ever? Is that ever a tricky balance of, you know, you and I joked about this before we got on the air, the balance between, you know, the quantity, I guess the nice way to say it is quantitative versus qualitative. The qualitative is the human side, the experiences, the inclusivity, all the things that no one can sit here and listen and go, that's not important. I don't value that. But then there's the hard numbers. And I guess, is there a dichotomy or is the, it sounds like you're working hard to make the conversation inclusive in itself, that both these things need to be addressed. And yes, it can make financial sense and it also can make human sense. But it, does there ever a push pull kind of in, in that with, with people where you get kind of caught in this either or, which to me, it doesn't feel like it needs to be there at all, but I, I see where it could slip. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's really challenging because again, you need to uh, you need to offer that pr pragmatic focus of why, and, and you know, it is a investment, if you will, for businesses to adapt and adjust to become inclusive for people with disabilities from a you know client customer perspective and from like an employee hiring perspective. Um, and and the social narrative is a huge reason, and 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 I don't want to devolve it from that alone, but that alone, as it stands by itself, is hard to persuade businesses unless there's government funding or unless there's some kind of income support uh, to to allow those businesses to to justify the expense or the the thing that you know is required in order to facilitate it. If we can have the conversation from both lenses and really bring in kind of the, the ROI side of it, it makes it easier. And it's not that yeah, yeah, yeah. businesses no, yeah, yeah. or people don't care about the person's side of things. It's facts don't care about feelings. You know, it's that saying that, you know, if you have the numbers, the social piece is just that added value instead of the only value. And that's really what we're trying to showcase is you can feel good about doing good and you can also make money. Well, which to me, like to not talk about that is, 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 is being a little, a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe delusional. I, I love your perspective of yes. Yes. We can have both with the right and clearly what you guys do as a business. So talk to me a little bit about included by design and more importantly, this product I'm checking out crucial that you've sounds like you've just launched it. Is that correct? Is this fairly new? Yes. So we just announced launching it on in December. We've kind of been working through our beta phase uh, for the first quarter of this year. Um, and, and again, it was a huge shift. Uh, we realized that there was a gap in the market, but it was the biggest influence on community inclusion. And that's the businesses that exist in these buildings and spaces that are typically tenants so by offering kind of our typical consulting services to these smaller businesses, A, they couldn't afford the work we were doing. They wouldn't be able to incorporate much of the, you know, major renovation side. Um, and, and, you know, what were we drawing on from a value perspective to those businesses? Because again, you know, when you look at the restaurant industry, they've got 15 things, 15 fires they're trying to put out disability inclusion hasn't hit that list yet of those 15 fires. And so how do we make it something that's 
a value driver for them to kind of populate the importance or prioritize, you know, action on that list of things that they're already trying to to facilitate or, or, or deal with on a daily basis. And uh, so Crucial was a platform that we found could drive that value, but also allow us to work with smaller businesses while we continue to develop some of the other products we're working on so that, again, the assessment costs become reasonably affordable, very affordable uh, um, from, from, that, from that lens, but we can also use that to drive our major project side that we do kind of on the inclusion by design side, which is, you know, driving those design um, plans, working with them on a year over year basis, instead of just trying to get everything kind of done in a single year. If we can show that tenants value operating in an accessible space and they're willing to put their own dollars into being recognized as an accessible space, for the larger buildings and larger property management groups and on and on and on, if they can create or do that from the get-go, how many more tenants are they attracting to their space over competitive spaces? How much value can we actually derive from that side of the conversation as well? Um, So that's kind of our business perspective. Uh, We are a social enterprise, uh, proud of being one, and really our, our, our mission is making sure that there is confidence that we give to both sides, the users and and the businesses, um, to get out and and be in, you know, uh, inclusive environments and communities where you don't hesitate to go for dinner or grab a drink with a colleague or you know meet up with somebody or you know for 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 younger adults going on those first couple of dates with a a, a new partner. What does that look like? Where's the confidence coming from? Are you concerned whether or not they have a bathroom that can facilitate your needs? Are you concerned whether or not you're going to get in the front door of that first date or of that first encounter? Uh, a lot of those and, things. And like first dates don't have enough pressure already, Sean. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> I haven't been on a first date for a while, but it gives me slight anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. And, and you know, we're in a digital world where, you know, it's it's as quick as a swipe. So you've got this added pressure of, the options are endless for people. Uh, they're almost too easy to, to move on to the next. And you, you have to concern yourself with getting in a front door or going to the washroom or, you know, all of these other weights and pressures of, of social normality that don't necessarily uh, pertain to people with disabilities trying to live in a, a world where that's still a gap. Things you take for things you take for granted when you're not forced to think about them. So for crucial, crucial.com, I encourage people to go check it out. This is a basically, um, uh, you guys are doing the curating and approving. So these are approved locations where you've gone in and said, yes, this, you know, and I'm going to give some plugs because I'm, I'm on here. So the Calcutta cricket club has, I have no problem going there from an accessibility perspective and it's met your standard. So as somebody who's planning to go out, I can take that risk right off the table, knowing already before I get there that this, this location has been approved. Like that's what an amazing service that kind of feels like doesn't that, that's kind of one of those that I don't want to minimize it, but shit, doesn't that already exist somewhere? No, it didn't. That's why we built it. (laughs) Yeah. And furthermore, we're really transparent about what is there and what isn't. So when you click on more details for, uh, Calcutta, you, you can actually see a list and it'll show you all oh, yeah. the Acce- accessibility features, features that's that great. exist. It shows you the features that don't exist. And again, that's not to 
can't they, they're on our platform, so they're obviously meeting a minimum standard of accessibility. Yep. Uh, it's been qualified as such, uh, so it's not about shaming what isn't there. It's just about being very, very transparent, so people can again determine for themselves if they're willing to uh, compromise. I think everybody compromises certain comforts to be in public spaces. All we're trying to do is level that playing field so people are compromising the same amount uh, as anybody else, and that's disability well, included. You you use the word transparency. I appreciate there's a difference between shaming someone and calling them out versus going, hey, this is what they have and this is what they don't have. I love what you've said so far about this is the journey. You know, and companies, capital expenditures are real. The restaurant industry has been decimated over the last couple of years. I I want to support every restaurant just for the fact that they survived and they, they kind of stayed there for me, the consumer, at the end of the day, right? So how do we support them? So being able to call this out and, and giving credit to the organizations that have taken that little bit of extra step and clearly made it important. And also as a patron, I also encourage people, you want to reward the restaurant, you want to reward the businesses that are doing the things that align with your values. And you know, you don't have to be dealing with a disability to still go and support these restaurants that are doing the things in your society that you think are, are valuable. So I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense on, on a bunch of different, different levels. We love to signal and we love to throw our weight behind organizations that represent our values somehow, but we don't always know what those are or, you know, what's what's important to us so i think it's great that you guys put this plot and how's the traction are you getting are people using it like what are some of the numbers are you seeing some are you seeing some uptick on this thing yeah it's been amazing uh most businesses awesome. that we reach out awesome. to and engage with uh they're pretty keen to at least get the evaluation or assessment done it's a 40 minute assessment that one of our people come out and do uh if it's through one of our not-for-profits. If they're nominated, uh, we actually waive the fee. Otherwise, it's $250 to have us come in. We provide you with a full report on what is there, what isn't there, how to specifically improve those things. Nice, you uh, give them a bit of an action, an action list as well. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and it can be used for grants. There is funding out there to improve spaces. So again, to, to cover some of the costs to making your space accessible, having our report associated to that, showing that you've already done kind of that initial assessment to understand what needs to be done as opposed to just speculating at it really helps kind of drive it a little further forward. So trying to create value, whether you make it on the map or not, was our first focus. Putting the platform together and then driving value beyond just being on a platform. Uh, we have a uh, ticket platform on the back end. Uh, so should you have any events taking place, uh, you know, a Super Bowl party or a Valentine's Day special or whatever it may be, uh, you as a, as a restaurant or not-for-profit doing an AGM uh, can use the, the ticketing platform backend. It's different from kind of the event rights and stuff because it, it allows people to identify their needs. And again, it's not identify their disability, but really identify their needs, whether you're a mom in a stroller and you need access to somewhere to put the stroller so having a table on kind of a main path of travel, or if you're somebody with a disability and you need, you know, a straw with your water, or you need your food cup before it comes out from the kitchen, or whatever those needs may be, you can identify it before you even arrive. So you can, we're hoping to, again, move from an accessible venue to that inclusive experience, and that your experience is very similar to anyone else's, and it's not a pandering experience once you arrive where they're shuffling things around or trying to do their best to accommodate they know ahead of time 
um, and then support well, you're giving, staff you're, through training. You're giving them an opportunity to be successful at providing good customer service, which is what they're in the business to do, right? You're kind of setting them up to be successful versus kind of putting them on the spot. There's a balance, and I appreciate the, you know, extenuating circumstances. It's more rare that there isn't some form of extenuating circumstances, whether it's the stroller, as an example, right up to, you know, being able to accommodate going to the bathroom while, while I'm on a first date, when I'm already nervous about the first date, <laughs> which I appreciate. Yeah, maybe it's, you're, it's you're trying to find somewhere to go with your grandma and grandpa, right? Like, yeah. And it's a grandparent thing and you're not sure what their needs really are being able to just identify you know we want a table that's kind of close to a bathroom so they're not walking long distances or you know closer to the banquet or whatever it might be closer to the stage whatever whatever's taking place uh it really allows that flexibility and again it creates confidence not just in the disability community but for other people who maybe are less certain of where they can take a loved one or a significant other that they don't spend, you know, a ton of time with. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate how human you've made it and how inclusive it becomes when you think about all of the different variables and factors that could come into play that are maybe not, would be put in a traditional category of like, oh, disability, so I think of it this way. It's a very human experience, and I think that normalization is, is critical. Sean, thanks so much for coming on the show. One, uh, just giving me a different set of filters and a different way, part of why I do the show, because I always leave going, huh, I never thought about that that way. And the opportunity, you know, economically, I think is huge. And to hear what you're doing and the, the positive impact you're, you're having in our city, and it sounds like it's getting better. So I'm, I'm left feeling optimistic, but also knowing that there's a lot of work ahead. Would that be a fair, would that be a fair statement? <laughs> yes, I, I actually feel the same way. I think we've seen a lot of things that are positive occur. Um, and I think we'll see a lot more happen a lot quicker because of the ability to associate with other groups, other initiatives, and, and, and really kind of move that needle forward. We're all having a human experience, and it's me and it's messy at the best of at the best of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, what's the best? Uh, obviously, you're on LinkedIn. Uh, you and I've connected there. What's the best way for people to get uh, get a hold of you? How would how how would they track you guys down to have a have a chat? Uh, so they can reach out through both of our websites, includedbydesign.com, crucial.com, uh, to do any kind of booking. But reach out directly. Yeah, LinkedIn is usually a pretty good one, or just. Sean at Included by Design, uh, send me an email and usually I'm pretty good at getting back to people. <laughs> nice. A little asterisk. I'm usually pretty, pretty, pretty good. And yeah, crucial exactly. is, I like to emphasize yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate the asterisk of a, of a busy inbox. Uh, K-R-O-O-S-H-L. The only reason I'm spelling because I struggle spelling it, but once you see it, you're like, oh, I, I, I get it. But no, well, well, well done on the, everything you're doing. And uh, thanks very much for sharing your story, man. It was really great having you on the show. I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the chat. Always enjoy it. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. Absolutely. We will, we will chat again. Thank you, my friend. Awesome. Thanks so much.